I'm Anna Marie. I'm an alcoholic. Anna Marie. Um, I'm an alcoholic because when I drink, um, I have no control over what's going to happen to me. And um, yeah, I think that um, drinking might solve that fundamental problem that I have, that I feel that I, something's missing. Um, I've since learned through years of experience that this is a universal problem that we all have, is that we think something's wrong with us. This is inherent to having a body, apparently, that we think that somehow by taking on this finite form and like being, that we're dying all the time, we feel it's separated from what is divine. Now, this is not actually true. However, me telling you that intellectually it's never going to stop that perception. The only thing that dissolves that perception is a spiritual experience. Or, for a short period of time, alcohol. And so, um, when I was a little girl, um, like I was a little, very small, uh, the, well, you know, I can talk to you. We're family, right? My mom tried to poison me. She, uh, uh, gave me a bottle of baby aspirin. She fed me the whole thing. And, uh, and I was, like, going to die. And then um, she said, oh, my God, what am I doing? And took me to the hospital, and they popped my stomach. I was in the hospital for a real long time. And after that, it was never all the way back inside my body. Something happened. The trauma of that coupled with, you know, I'm physically being an alcoholic. My, you know, it's, it's in the family. Anyway, but I just remember that whole, that two clicks off, two clicks off, you know, <coughs> just not being quite right after that. And so... I remember just going through my childhood, and I hear this all the time in the rooms. I love when I hear this is because uh, it's my story. I felt like everybody else got the rule book, the playbook, and I didn't know. How come I don't know what's going on here? Because oh, I was distinctly aware that something was going on here that I didn't know what it was. And so the, trying to figure that out was real frustrating and made me feel very other. And then, um, and I was raised, this is another important piece that's been coming up lately for me, is I have spent my whole life um, in cults. <laughs> I was like <laughs> raised in a cult, and then I, and I've just done nothing but join cults after that. And it, I, I am absolutely doing that, like it's a thing. And so then someone told me, I think that's your addiction. I was like, You know, I mean, you know, I thought I'd like really hit the end of the line of all the things I was addicted to when I got, you know, about the doing the relationships, you know what I mean? Like now that I'm doing sober dating, now I'm really, I'm like, now I'm really, you know, I'm sober. And it's like, no, and the cults. I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, what am I supposed to do with my time? You know what I mean? And so, um, so anyway, so I was in this cult when I was a little girl. I will, you know, you're my people, I'll say it too. It's the Mormon church. And, um, <laughs> and so there isn't a lot of, you know, open drinking in there. But this is happening. And the addiction, the, the, the addiction thing is, is uh, there's a lot to do with it. You, there's a lot you can do with your addiction inside of there, um, kind of undercover. So when I eventually got kicked out of the church and out of BYU, it's a great story too, too long to tell here. <laughs> Talk to me later. Um, uh, I, that's when I really jumped into drinking and using. And so I was already like an adult. I was already out on my own. I was already doing the things. And, um, and then I started to drink, and it solved that problem. Suddenly that feeling of emptiness and not belonging, all that went away for And I was like, this is the answer. You just, you know, come home and drink, and then you're fine. And, so, and that worked for a long time. Uh, and then I got pregnant um, with my first baby, and I married the man that made me pregnant. This is a terrible idea. This is the worst reason to get married ever. Do not do that. I will never do that again. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you know, 
so many alternatives. <laughs> so, um, I, I, but being raised in a cult, I had no idea. I was like, you know, well, now you have to do this, you know. That poor man. <laughs> oh my God, he wasn't expecting that. And so, anyway, bless his heart. He really tried. He, he's a, not a, he's retarded. Anyway, um, that's an insult to retarded people. Um, bless his heart. The end. The problem, uh, the, anyway, but the, what this fundamental problem was not solved, though, because my feeling of otherness had not been truly addressed. It just had been obscured by my zest for drinking and, you know, and then for eventually other things. And so when I left the second husband, it was uh, because, well, see, first, when, when I left the church, I lived with the Hare Krishna people for a while, which was fantastic. Those guys are party animals. They do not drink. But they love God, and they sing the names of God until God shows up. And so, man, getting high on God is just about the best thing ever. And so um, religious uh, zeal and religious um, um, intoxication has always been my drug of choice, hence the cults. And so, um, so as soon as I got out of the church and I didn't have one, I just jumped right into the Hare Krishna thing. And then they were like, you've got you to make vows. You've got to do the thing. And I was like, yeah. I want to. And then I, you know, ended up going home. They kicked me out. One of the conditions of my expulsion from BYU is I got kicked out of Utah. And I don't think they can really do that, but I thought they could. So, you know, because, you know, raising a call. So, um, anyway, I came back home to Texas, and, um, and then I got pregnant. And then I tried to do the church thing again. It just didn't, it just wasn't nearly as fun as it used to be. And so um, I ended up starting up with this psychotherapy cult. Well, first the Scientologist got me. <laughs> that was really scary, but interesting. But um, I won't tell you what happened. Anyway, but I was on Xanax when I, when I eventually got did my intake with them. They like did like a personality survey, and then they looked through my papers, and and then they went and talked to another guy, and then another guy from upstairs came down, and they go, "You want to work here?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I got a job, you know. I don't, even, I don't even work here." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, but we think you could." And then like, there was like two hour block where I didn't know what had happened. And then apparently, I'd signed a paper. Um, I had it for a long time that said I had promised like two and a hundred thousand years of service <laughs> to something. Anyway, I was like, "Oh, I, ooh, I don't want to work there." You know, <laughs> so do do can I get out of this? So I just went to my house and decided I would not answer the phone. This was way before cell phones. And so I was like, I just won't answer the phone. So people would be over there, and the phone would be just ringing and ringing and ringing. And I would be like, they're going, are you going to answer the phone? I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> so, and sometimes they would drive by the house, and I would turn off all the lights. It would be so quiet. And then, um, you know, the things we do under the influence of drugs is foolish. But especially, you know, when you're looking for that, that, that belonging, which the cult was supposed to give me. Anyway, so I didn't, I ended up, that, I ended up getting away from the Scientologist by having a couple of my friends who were real scary talk in a very ugly way to one of the men that came over. And then, um, but then I got, so then I left my second, my first husband. He didn't really like me that much, but um, we were, I remember, I knew it was over. We were at this Christmas party. It was at, back when Castle Hill Cafe was still open. Oh, I remember that so yummy. Um, I was a hostess there. I was a hostess with the mostess. And, um, and they had this big party, and Lucinda Williams was there, and we were drinking tequila in the back, and we were having all the fun in the world. And they had all these bands come up, and uh, this mariachi band came on. And, um, and so 
they, you know, start singing, Son los novios, you know, and so people are grabbing their partner. I got my bottle of tequila. And, was, you know, I was dancing with my true love, and who knew where my husband was? I don't even know. Anyway, very shortly after that, I met my second husband. I joined this other psychotherapy cult, which was an offshoot of Scientology. Now, that was fun. And, um, you know, we start working on our shit and our, you know, our racism and our internalized sexism. And basically, it was a couple of really, like, cool people that were having these middle-class white ladies pay money to uh, spend time with them. <laughs> and I was like, man, it was, that was a good gig. I, well, and so they got real mad at me because I showed up, and then the guy, the favorite, the, the cute one, uh, he decided that he would, he would be my boyfriend. Well, these other ladies were like, no, no, we're paying you to be our boyfriend. <laughs> and so they were like, well, you, then they told me, well, you get out of here. And I was like, fuck off, you know? And then, um, so anyway, we ran off, and I remember it was like the first... I was trying to play real cool, like I was having my shit together real good, but I, I was drinking a lot. And so, um, you know, it didn't occur to me that I was an alcoholic or anything. Anyway, so um, I remember the very first time that husband came over to spend the night at my house, we were, uh, he had poured me a glass of, of vodka, and it was just full, and he just poured like a teeny bit of orange juice, like to make it orange, and he thought it was like funny, like he's just giving me this big, like, because he's gonna make me a screwdriver. And I just picked it up and I just drank the whole thing, like while I was talking, and I just set it back down and kept talking. He goes, That was straight vodka. And I went, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God, what are you trying to do to me? Get me drunk, you know? <laughs> and he goes, he looked at me like this. He goes, I have some crystal meth in the car. <laughs> and then I was like, I knew I was in love. And so, um, man, that was fun. It was like getting married to the devil. So great at first, you know. He's dressed real nice. has this big horn sticking out of his head. And he's like, you were the best looking dude I ever saw. And yeah, Crystal Meth was a terrible boyfriend, but um, mm-hmm. the husband was terrible too. Oh. <laughs> but I, I loved the hell out of him, and so we just romped and played for a long time, and we got away with it pretty good until he started getting um, slappy and um, punchy, mm-hmm. you know, stabby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, um, but you know, for one, t- but I, you know, had that whole cult thing with me, and so we joined the Illuminati, which was super fun, and then, um, and uh, you know, yeah, and I, got, you know, so I went through all the chairs in the Eastern Star, and he went all through the chairs in the Blue Lodge, and we had all this shit going on, and all those old dudes and those broads love to drink, and so we go travel around, get on these formal dresses to go to tea parties around, and and uh, talk all kind of shit, and do, um, you know. Uh, secret handshakes and do the rituals and stuff. I love uh, leading people through the initiation by labyrinth. Oh my God, I was so good at that. I could do that drunk and high on cocaine. I could do anything. And so we would drive around and just drink Crown Royal out of the bottle and just talk mad shit about each other. I mean, because I was the youngest one. There's all these ancient, like old bats Mm -hmm. in formal dresses and me (laughs) drinking. It was the greatest club ever. And so... um, and then we read all those websites about how we were lizards. It was fantastic. And so, um, so anyway, so yeah, because I always have to have a cult. Like, because I, I, the thing I love about it is just like with the drinking, it's like you start out at the beginning, you know, it's just like, oh, what does that taste like? Ah, ah, you know, and then pretty soon, you know, you're freebasing. You know, and it's great. And so you, I want to, you know, it's always just diving into the inner circle. I want to learn all the secret words and vocabularies and rise to the top and ascend to the east and, 
you know, and then I will design the curriculum and I will initiate you. And so um, I will be the preceptor. Um, and so I would do that, but then it would like, you know, then after that it always kind of falls apart. Once you find out, you know, who the man behind the curtain is, it's like, eh. And so, um, so I'm still drinking crystal meth husband. Oh, yeah. And then like one day after we, we've been doing so much so much cocaine. Anyway, um, uh, I died. Like I, uh, we got some, some, I, I always knew when our neighbors were holding, we lived down the country, you know, so there's a lot of crystal meth. It's real boring out there and you could cook it as a lot of air. And so, um, anyway, so I always knew when they were holding because they, you'd look out the window and you could see their house on the hill and they'd have the little blinds fixed so they could peek outside. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh yeah, Richard and Angela have some. Let's go. And so, you know, it's like, let's, let's go take them some cookies, you know. And so we would go up there and then score and then come back down. And I don't know what was different about that batch, but we set it up. I mean, just like doing it with our nose. And then um, and I did mine. And then look around where's the husband. Oh, he's like, here, do his too. And then I went, I feel weird. And then I lay down. And I went to sleep, and then pretty soon I just like came out of my body, and I looked down and sat, and I went ha ha, and I took off running into the sky, and I was, and I knew I had children, or I had one child then, and I was like ha ah, fuck it, you know, and then just kept going, and then all of a sudden I feel this searing, horrifying pain, and my uh, I hear my husband's voice going, Anna Marie, get back inside your body. I was like, no, and it was just, ah, you know, and it was so painful waking back up into that. And I was like, God damn it, you broke my sternum, and um, and he's crying, and he's like, what's going on? You know, and I go, oh my god, let's just smoke some pot, fuck it, and um, and so um, so then after that, we decided to go to church. We decided we needed to find some Jesus and just get straightened out. It was too scary. So, um, so we went to, so we started going to this little Christian church, and I remember the very first uh, Sunday we were there, my husband grabbed my hand and ran us down to the altar when, you know, they say, do you want to come to Jesus? Because I was just going to go, like, and sit in the back and sing the songs, because it's nice. No, no, we had to, like, get saved and everything. I was like, oh, no, not this one, because, you know. And so, and so anyway, so we run down there and then we get baptized and then they have me up there leading the music in church. Now, all the scariness, I did stop using cocaine for quite, the crystal meth for a while, but it didn't do anything to my drinking. Like, come on. And so, you know, so I'd be up there leading the music in church and then pretty soon we got back on, you know, the other stuff. And so I'm standing up in church, high on cocaine. Leading the music. And I looked down at my husband, he'd be like, nobody knows. Like, oh my God, I love him. And so, yeah, we're living our secret life. But then there was like the other part of the secret life with the violence and stuff. And that started to get worse and worse. So eventually, um, I started to not like him very much anymore. And I, uh, and my sister, it, um, but I had this idea, you know, from being raised the way I was, that it was up to me to get this to, to get this under control. And the, the really, this thought I always had was like, this is my family. And I'll be goddamn if some demon's going to come in here and scare me out of my own marriage. The demon, get the fuck out of here. I'm staying here. You know, it's like my own selfishness was so thick and so um, impenetrable. Like, I couldn't see, like, you're, someone's going to kill you. It's like I'd never seen a Lifetime movie or something. Mm-hmm. You know, and so... Uh, you know, it's like, ah. and so um, my sister figured out what was going on, and so she had this talk with me one night when I was over at her house, and she's like, 
I want us to have a safe word, like a secret word, that if you need me to call the police to come to your house, you will call me and say this word. And I was like, that is the stupidest thing I ever heard. Where'd you hear that? She goes, on the Oprah Winfrey show. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, okay. And so she told me, we made up a word. And, and um, I didn't give much thought. And then not really that long after, she could see what was happening and I didn't. Um, I uh, got a... I got caught cheating on my husband. Oh, yeah, I used to cheat on my husband with the, some of the coaches at school sometimes. And some of the other people, too. You know, whatever. Anyway, so, um, anyway, I think it was the tennis coach. I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that poor man. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he wasn't expecting that. And so, um, yeah, that husband. Anyway, so, um, anyway, so I get, he's looking through my email. Apparently, you can't really delete email. Who knew, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so he's looking through some something I thought I deleted and finds all the evidence that he needs to have grounds to um, murder me. So I get home, and um, he takes me prisoner. And um, my son is at his dad's, and by this time I have two other little babies. And um, and he uh, and he's like, you. And so I I, I call my sister. I said, you got to come get these little kids out of this house. Because I, I got to take my punishment because I did the bad thing. So I'm going to take the punishment. All right. So usually when I would fuck up, you know, commit crimes against, you know, him, he would like do something bad to me and then he would feel better. Like, okay, I'm the boss of her. And now I showed her who's boss. And now we could go back to being husband and wife and be friends again, you know. And so, but he could not figure out something to do to me that was bad enough to make himself feel better. He just couldn't do it. So he, uh, so he like just kept, you know, he we had this one rifle he really liked, and he kept taking it, all the bullets out of it and put them all back in and watching me and like showing me and loading up the magazine clip, you know, over and over and over and over and over and over. And I was just like, I gotta get out of here. And so um, he had taken the phone and taken it all apart and put pieces of it all over the house, and he had taken my car keys and thrown up on the roof. I figured that out. Um, because I'm super smart, and um, <laughs> and and, uh, and you know, so I'm so I'm trying to figure out a way. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna realize I'm just gonna have to get. If I can get my car keys, maybe I can like somehow get close enough to the car, I could get inside the car, and then I could drive the car away, and escape his evil clutches, and. And um, I finally got the keys, and I was trying to get to the car, and he was like, where do you think you're going? Where do you think you're going? I was like, I need to get a lighter. I want to smoke a cigarette. Pretty please, can I smoke a cigarette? And he was like, yes. And then um, I get to the car, and, uh, and I realize he's like right here. He's like, there's no way I'm going to get away. So it's dark outside. I don't have any shoes on. I'm like, fuck it. And I just decide I'm going to run for it. Mm-hmm. Well, I take off running, and I fall. Oh, shit. And he catches me. And he puts me in a full Nelson. He goes, I'm going to kill you now. And I was like, oh, no. And so I'm just praying. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not really funny, but it was kind of. But, um, I mean, because, because I thought this, I just didn't see it coming. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm stupid. And so I'm, I'm just thinking, i I got to get out of this. So I'm thinking, where did he put the pieces of the phone? Because I found, like, two of them. And I thought, I think I know where the battery of the phone is. And so he's in there getting the, the gun, and I can hear him putting the magazine in the gun, and I'm putting the battery in the phone. And then he gets in there, and I'm dialing the phone, and it goes to voicemail. I'm like, oh, that was my one chance to, like, oh, man. And so, um, 
so I just say the message to my sister on the phone, and I use the secret word, and he, and he's like, what do you think you're doing? I go, I was just, um, I wanted to talk to Rachel, <laughs> you know, and, and he's like, he gets the phone, and then it rings. I go, you, gotta, you better answer it, because if, um, if you don't, she's going to think something's wrong. She's going to get worried, you know, because the kids are over there. And she goes, he's like, um, so he says hello, and she goes, and she says, I don't know what she said to him, but he's like, what the fuck? You're a rah, rah, rah. And he throws the phone and I pick it up and she goes, they're on their way. And all of a sudden something like kicked up in me like that unbreakable peace, that peace of us that is never separated from the divine, you know, the, the real thing. Mm-hmm. And I just stood up and I was like, all Ike and Tina, I was like, what you gonna do, Ike? You know? <laughs> and I was like, I, I was like, I was a wrathful and I just was like, kill me now, I want you to let them see what you really are, you punk ass. Oh my God, whooping woman's ass all these years, you're gonna get it. Kill me, when's this supposed to happen? Do it now. Ha, I can't do it, can you? Stupid! You know, and he's just running around, ah, I'm in trouble. And so he runs out in the woods with a gun, and then the police get there, and they call my sister, come get me, and they're out, and they're clearing the house with drawn weapons. It's like cops. And then, um, well, it was real cops. It wasn't even like cops. It was actually cops. And then, um, and then that's the first time I got sober. And so after, and that lasted, I was on a pink cloud. I was so happy about being... Uh, alive and not having to drink anymore and not having to be married to that man anymore. I was so happy and so, you know, I moved my kids into back into Austin out of the country and then I work it still got my same job. <laughs> I managed to do all those things over my summer break. And so I got to come back to work like a normal person. And and started going to meetings here. And but what I didn't understand is that that pink cloud is actually not uh, is a manic episode that follows a traumatic experience that you survive. And so it, it's like an adrenaline thing. Well, for me, this episode lasted about three years. And then one day, you know, and I was high on God, and I was high on a fellowship, and there were all these boys to date, and I was having so much fun. And then one day, I, I like just kind of dropped out of that manic thing, and I went, this is annoying. <laughs> this is boring. talking. <laughs> and so I, uh, I quit going to meetings because I was ready to re-enter the normal world. And I was ready to stop listening to all that whiny alcoholic talk. Um, because what I had done, I had joined another cult. I didn't know it at the time, but it was one of these Buddhist groups that it has at the top. There's a guru and a teacher and all the things and I was I was going through the ranks and I was receiving the secret teachings and I was going through the initiation processes and um, they had told us at this one point they said now at this point in the path you're going to start to get rebellious you're going to want to not practice well nothing happened in my meditation practice I was deep in the practice I was practicing I was so religious with that stuff I was just crazy what I stopped doing was coming to AA and that stuff is nice and whatever in Buddhism. I'm still a Buddhist. I love it. But it won't do a thing for this addiction. Mm. And so, um, so when I start, so I didn't see my rebelliousness manifesting as me pushing away this program. So I just dive deeper into the cult aspect of this, you know, getting closer and closer to the guru and taking vows and stuff. And I forgot about the people who saved my life when I came in here. Because I had my forehead on the floor. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I lost my sobriety, 
I didn't even see it coming. It had never even occurred to me that I would drink again. I was just at a party with all my little yoga friends, and we're running around doing our clothing swaps. So we're running around naked, uh, trying on each other's clothes and being silly, and it was one of the girls' birthday. And I had none of these people had ever even seen me drink. And so, um, or, or knew that I had been a drunk and was sober, nothing. And so they had like a tray of little shots for her birthday. I, how many times had I picked up a, a glass like for a toast and just set it back down? A hundred times. This time I picked up that cu- glass and I shot it like that. Mm-hmm. Just like that. Like nothing. And I went, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Oh, 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 I'm not supposed to drink. And so I was like, oh, no, no. So I run and go eat some food. I'm drinking water. I'm like, okay, okay, that was an accident. I, I didn't mean to do that. And so did I go to a meeting? Did I call a person in the program? No, because I was completely separated from the program at that point. I just thought, you know, I'll just not do that anymore. But that thing waked up my disease, and it was rocking. It was just like hungry. And so it started telling me, you see, you're not an alcoholic. You just had one drink. You didn't even want another one. Uh, 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 uh. So but within two weeks, I was sitting at the table at a restaurant with some friends, and I ordered a glass of wine. And then it was over. And so for a whole year, I drank, and I went to Costa Rica, and I drank, and I went to Mexico, and I drank, and then I came back to Austin and started doing cocaine. And then I kept drinking, and then... Um, and then I came to that place of incomprehensible demoralization. It just felt terrible. I would, I would actually watch myself sometimes. I would stand in the mirror and watch myself. I'd drink and watch myself, and I'd watch my lights go out, like my chakras just shut down, and watch the blackness come. And I would think, this is bad. And just and realizing I, I would, whatever I thought just my husband was and it led me into, I was one too. And so I was like, what am I going to do? And then one of my best friends, who's now my sponsor, got married. And I went to her wedding. And there's a bunch of sober people there, because I met her here at this house. And she never treated me any different whether I was thinking or sober. And I saw her sponsor, who was also a friend of mine back when I was sober. Oh, my God. Oh, and she looked beautiful. And she looked... I wanted to go home, you know? I wanted to be like her again. I wanted to be with her. And so I just, I went home, I was miserable. I took my kids home, and I finished drinking this fifth of tequila I had. And then apparently, I went to my ex-boyfriend's house and spray-painted his car. And, um, <laughs> and, and of course, when I looked at my phone, it looked like I had probably done a few other things. <laughs> it was a difficult evening. And... Um, Anyway, I, by the time I woke up in the morning, I, I, was, um, I, was ready to, I was ready to ask for help. So I called uh, a friend of mine, Jamie, and he was like, girl, I didn't even know you had gone out drinking again. And I said, will you take me to a meeting? And so he took me to a meeting. I picked up a desire chip, and then I spent the next four months more miserable than I've ever been in my life. There was no pink cloud. There was no feeling of a tremendous relief. There was just the karmic realization of the ingratitude and what I had done. You walked away from the people who saved your life when you were supposed to be helping. You turned your back, and now look what you did. Abide in that state. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is terrible. I remember this one time, like, I was brushing my teeth. I I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror, and I, you know how you, like, lean forward, brush your teeth like this, and then, like, the mirror's right here, and my face is right there, and I was just, I was like, oh, gross. You know, and I was like, "Uh," I was like, right, uh, and I was like, ah, ah, 
<laughs> she just started screaming, walking around the house with my toothbrush naked, screaming. I don't know how they didn't call the police, you know what I mean? And, and, and that was like the first four months of my getting sober this time. But I'll tell you what, this sober, this sobriety, it's been like six years now, has been so soft and gentle and full of sorrow and, um, and uh, the ability to be merciful and gentle with others. There's none of that high on God. There's none of that uh, um, uh, fast, fast, that euphoric yang energy uh, that I had that first time when it was just like running and gunning uh, with God in the steps. <clears throat> you know, it was, <laughs> it was uh, it's, it's so much more human and sustainable and, um, and comforting. And so, like, like right now, like, um, like a, over the summer in this Buddhist cult I've been in, my guru got in big trouble. Turns out he was, uh, can we say bad words on this? <laughs> How many have I said so far? Um, you know, he was uh, getting his dick sucked and everything. And so, um, yeah, what the fuck, right? And so I was like, oh, I love you. And you, what are you doing? <laughs> The nerve of you. He's like about this tall. He's just a little thing. I was like, oh my God, gross. And so, not that he's not handsome, but it's just, it's just not, you're just supposed to, I just thought he wasn't doing that. <laughs> I mean, I know other men in power like to get their dick sucked, but I thought my teacher was better than that. <laughs> oh my God, I was outraged. I'm still upset. And so right now, this is my thing right now, is I had to dive back into my program of Alcoholics Anonymous. The working of the steps and what has been holding my sobriety, um, I realized since the beginning, but especially this time around and in these last couple of years, is the magic of the traditions. Um, as my program matured and I understood what the steps were, see, my, my experience with the steps are a technology for freedom. They give you the highest and the greatest truth you're going to get when you walk in the door, and that is your life is unmanageable. And that's fine. It was never meant to be managed. There's nothing to manage. There's no reason to mess with it or be rough with it. There's no reason, you see, because there's no separation between us and the divine. There's no separation between us, so there's no, we don't, we don't need to wet it down. That space inside of us that we feel, that thing we think that is empty, is actually the space for us to live in. That is the space inside of our bodies for us to move and grow and to dance with what is divine, to align ourselves with the will of God. And so, and then, and and because it's perfectly like this, because as soon as they tell you that, then the very next thing they tell you is, you have never been scratched by any of the behavior by you or anybody else. Your sanity is what you were born with. Because we are not uh, gifted with sanity through the second step. We are restored to the sanity that is inherent to our being. And that is the divinity that we are made of. And so there's no behavior from any outside situation. I mean, because we could have been just thrown into a situation of complete madness. It has nothing to do with the sanity that exists within us. You know, these choices people make out here. Some people say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? And I say, I will tell you why. Because all the options are on the table. And when we take a birth, when we take one of these kinds of bodies, which are supremely suited for doing magic, we run into whatever comes. In the forest of possibilities, anything is possible. And so I could say, oh, look at this. This is a terrible thing. This is you burying your child before you. 
I don't want you to learn this lesson. This is too hard of a lesson, so I'll take it away. What did I just do? It's fucked up your freedom on playing God in your life. That's not freedom. Freedom is... This is on the table. And now what you going to do? You know what I mean? So you don't, we don't need to drink to soften it. We need to meet it straight. We need to meet it as it comes. And we have that power because when we are relieved from the bondage of self, when we stop believing that there's a self to protect, that the, that the self that exists is outside of anyone else's self, when, when, that is obscure, when that obscuration is dissolved through the spiritual experience of, of, of receiving that sanity we were born with, we, um, we realize we don't, we don't need to do any more of those things. And that's why we can make that decision to turn our will and our lives over. Because they were always with God. There's no outside the box. There's no like, this is a bad thing and this is a good thing. We need to get rid of it. It's just a matter of alignment, of getting the pieces where one is not blocking the other. You know... Like a cocoon for a butterfly is a protection until it's a prison, right? Mm -hmm. And same with us. As we grow, the thing that used to be a protection becomes a prison, and we have to break out of it. And then we have to be super gentle with ourselves while our little wings dry out, while we learn to do the new things. You know, and, we, and, and everything is like that. So like uh, well, in the Buddhism, we say the opening of the lotus flower, and more is revealed. And it just, it's just endless, the growth and the possibilities. And so as we work the steps... Um, we, ju- we learn to be self-reflective. We learn to see there's a mirror in our heart. And as we do our steps, we shine our, our, that mirror in our heart. And what we see is what was always there, which is the face of God. And so our, our confusion rises up and we look at it and we realize that this is the manifestation of wisdom. This is what it looks like to grow up. It's to say, wow, look, I hurt you. I never want to hurt you. You know, and or, or I hurt me, and you think I never want to hurt me, <laughs> like I love me, and that's and that's the only thing that dissolves that fundamental delusion that we are separated, is the repeated experience, a methodical and repeated experience, of a spiritual nature. I can tell you about the steps I worked all day, but until you work them yourself, you, it's like tasting salt. I can't tell you what it tastes like, but once you taste it, you know it, and you know it every time you taste it, and so. Um, and so when I look, like, look at the steps on the wall, and I just think, this is brilliance. But the thing that has been holding me and keeping me away from joining another cult right away, because I have to, like, every day, like, I was, okay, as soon as my guru got in trouble, I was in there like, okay, well, i got to take some Gnostic classes. i got to start studying the Kabbalah. I'm just like, Anna Marie, what are you doing? You don't need to do you don't need to join any more calls. You don't need a guru. You don't need that. Like Just like you learned, you don't need uh, some bossy man to tell you what to do. You don't need some authority, some priesthood, some thing to tell you what to do either. What if you were to listen to the voice inside you? What if you were actually to, to, to dive into this miraculously uh, anarchic program that we have with no leaders and no rulers? and very few rules that we only call guidelines and suggestions that you can't get fired from, that people can't even say. Like, I, I, like some of these, so you could just not even be an alcoholic and you still get to come. People say, you're not even an alcoholic. You go, oh, well, I still have the desire to stop drinking. <laughs> and they're like, you're drunk right now. It's like, so what? I still have the desire to stop drinking. You know what I mean? It's like, or, or even if you don't have that, you're like, well, it's an open meeting. <laughs> you know, and so like you can't get kicked out. Like you, 
like you have to like cut someone's throat or something to get kicked out of here. Like they, you know, you have to. Like, and we, none of us like the police. No one's gonna call them. We're just gonna like wrestle you, you know. And so, um, so when I, so so what has happened with me this time is that my experience with the traditions has has helped me understand the uh, what's protecting us here instead of it being some sort of authority or some, you know, uh, monster in the unseen world or some, oh, I love all that stuff, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, love, I love esoteric vocabulary. Um, but that's not what's helping me. That's not what's keeping me sober. What's keeping me sober is, is my understanding that my sobriety and your sobriety are inherently linked and that the freer you are, the freer I am. And that until all of us are free, none of us are free, and so we have to help each other. There's no me feeling better and then me leaving out this program and leaving somebody else here to not have. Somebody, I need to answer the phone because somebody, somebody's hurting. And it's not about Anna Marie being smart. It's about a woman answering the phone when somebody's in the shit and, and, then, and suddenly them getting, having that spiritual experience that they finally had the faith to pick up the phone and that somebody else had, the, <laughs> you know, the willingness to answer it and so um it's super simple it's the simplest of all because the, that's why i teach my children in uh ninth grade i'm supposed to teach them english but it's really boring and so um so one day i was looking at them i go you want me to teach you something you want to learn something and they're like yes the little hood rats <laughs> they don't want to learn anything i was like too bad and so i draw two circles on the board and i said um and I draw a line in the middle. And I go, this is the only problem anybody ever had. This is the only problem there is in this world. This is the whole problem in the world. Do you want to know what it is? And they go, yes. And so I go, okay. So I write in one circle self, and I write in the other circle other. And I go, there's just one, there's a thing in the middle separating these two things. And I go, so because right here, this side is self. This is you and your mama and your neighborhood and all the things you know about and all the things you like to eat and the stuff you listen to, all that stuff. That's self. Over here is other. You don't know what it is, but it needs to stay over there. Fuck it. Trying to come over here and get your things. Do, do you know, choke it. Just get it out of here. And they're like, yeah. And I go, you know what's the, causing that? And they're like, no. And I go, and I write, fear. I said, the only thing separating self from other is fear. And that's what I'm here to tell you. There's no such thing. Fear is a lie. Fear is a delusion. It's a, it's a, it's a real, it's a thing, but it is not true. And then they're like, now they're listening. I go, you feel that feeling in your heart? Like you feel your heart click? I go, that's how you know things are true because your body already has all the truth inside it. You are made of the truth and so is everybody else. And so when you hear the truth, you can know what it is and nobody has to tell you. All right, side note. I go, so back to my story. I go, so well, how are we going to get through this thing, this fear? What gets through that? And they're like, I don't know. And I said, okay, well, underneath everything, the truth of this is that we are made of a thing called indestructible worthiness. You got this worthiness. You are worthwhile. And that cannot be scratched or touched or damaged in any way. This is just the way it is. Now, this indestructible worthiness, though, it's not like a rock sitting there. It's like bubbling. It like, wants to talk to you. It wants to connect. And so it's like moving around. And so once in a while, it just pops out by itself. You don't even know. It's just going to pop out. And it's like you see a commercial on TV with a little dog. You're like, oh, I love it, dog. You know, or, um, or your baby sister laughs. Or, like, or you see something real sad, like on TV, like you see a soldier crying over another soldier's grave or something like that. And all of a sudden your heart opens up. I go, that's your indestructible worthiness rising. And I said, and you know what that is when it comes out, what, it's, what we call that? 
like, no! <laughs> I go, that is your self-love. And self-love is your superpower. I'll tell you why. Because when you are standing in your self-love, you look at other and you see yourself. And that shoots right through that fear wall. just dissolves it like it was never there. And you know what that is? And now they're like, yes! <laughs> what is it? And I said, it's compassion. I go, so what you have to do if we're ever going to get through this, we got to stick together. And the way we stick together is to remember there's no difference between you and me. There is no you and me. There's only the compassion that binds us. And so, and then we, there became a whole discussion after that about, well, how can we, you know, how can we connect with our self-love on purpose? <laughs> and I'm thinking, can I just teach them the 12 steps? You know? <laughs> or do I have to like make up code words? Well, I'm, I did make up code words, but um, well, I don't want to get in, you know, I don't want to, I don't want them to stop me, you know, so, I, so and then when I told him was, I go, I'm just teaching him mindfulness. The mindfulness is very sexy right now, so you could just call it mindfulness. <laughs> I was like, because they know I'm a Buddhist, I'm like, I'm teaching them mindfulness. They're like, oh, oh, go right ahead. We'll just, yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, get the fuck out. And so, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but like I learned I learned that I didn't need permission to do the right thing in here I learned that there's no difference between self and other that whether I have any understanding like like they tell you from the minute you are to get into service to others your second day sober like your first day sober you can be it could be about you and from then on no more even in the book, they, they, they spend all that first half of the book going, oh, you're sick, you have a disease, you're so sick, you have a disease. And then you get to be about page, I think it's like 54, and they go, oh, yeah, and you're selfish. And then they never talk about a fucking disease again. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the time, they just talk about your, your selfishness. And, and that, it turns out that's the... That's, that's what's wrong with this. But, but, it's not, and, but the thing is, is that we don't have to feel bad about that selfishness. It's not like we're flawed by being selfish. The selfishness comes with that fundamental delusion that we are separated from God. So we think there is a self to be selfish about. But, as soon as, but once we really start to work the steps, like have a continuous experience with them, eventually that dissolves. And the understanding that we get to love ourselves and that we get to take <coughs> care of ourselves and that that just gives rise to the urge, the natural urge to extend. Because you see, that's the human being all around. Like, as soon as a person has an experience that's interesting or, or, or uh, you know, juicy, immediately you want to share it with another person. Like, you watch any child smell a stinky foot. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh my God, smell my foot. <laughs> and you're like, no, they're, come on, smell it. You know? <laughs> I want to share this with you. I have a sponsee that she always wants to make dinner for me. And I was like, well, you don't have to give me anything. She goes, I want to share a meal with you. And I'm like, okay, goddamn, you know. <laughs> yes, you know. But I, the thing is, for her, it's about the exchange. It's about, you know, she's like, you are giving me your time in this love. I want to, I want you, I want to watch you eat. I'm like, thank you. And so, and, and, and that's been my experience with, is, with Alcoholics Anonymous, really. It comes down to us feeding each other. We take good care of each other. We start by taking good care of ourselves, telling the truth about ourselves and on ourselves. And this frees us from the bondage of self and makes and allows us to take good care of the people around us. And, it, and it, this is the only thing, that, this is really the only thing we need to do. This is what's going to, you know, because we're seeing a lot of scary things happen. 
a lot of people harming you. <coughs> it's on the TV and the news, like you can't. And, it, and I don't know about you, but it has a profound effect on me. At my work just a couple weeks ago, a man shot himself and killed himself close enough to the building for us to hear the gunshot. He tried to kill his wife, and the police came, and so he shot one of the policemen and came onto campus. The SWAT team was there. We had to lock down the kids. My students, you know, they look at me and go, Miss, I'm like, baby, you're okay. You know, and we just... This is, the, this is what we practice for. This is why we go to our meetings. This is why we're ready. It's because when that, that difficulty comes, we, we stand in the strength of our practice and the understanding that we know how to be brave. So, Miss, what's going to, well, what if he tries to get in here? I go, baby, nobody's going to get in here. I go, he's out there. We're in here. And he's like, yeah, but what if they did? I go, well, I'll sit my thumbs in his eye sockets and then I would throw him on the floor and jump on his head till I was dancing in brains. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> I go, why don't we, let's watch TV. <laughs> so I put on some Netflix and we watch TV. You know, and, but you know, the scary, that's here. That happened in this neighborhood. I teach us right up here up the street. And it's what, but what makes that, what made us, I think, get through that moment and what makes us in this room get through that moment is the way we take care of each other in the little ways. You know, the nice things we do, the hugging and the kissing and the petting and the listening and sharing and being honest. These are the things that when the crisis comes, um, we know that we're among friends. And I, and I think it's these ordinary small ways that we are kind to each other that are going to overcome these big things that seem so insurmountable. Because I guarantee you, nobody walks in and starts shooting people who feels like someone loves them. Mm-hmm. If they felt like they had a room to go to where they belonged and they were not other and they were heard and understood and seen, they, they're not going to walk into some other kind of room and start shooting anybody. <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen. So if we start here, we start with ourselves, we start with this room, and then it radiates out. And this is my experience. And so I'm super glad. Like, I see all your faces and I think, oh, I love you so much. You know, and I'm not kidding about that. Like, I mean that. And because, um, because you can feel it. Like, your heart clicks and it opens. And then you realize, you know, that God is here with us, inside of us. And all of our little fingers and toes. Um, that's a big boss. See, it's over. That's it. I love you so much.